0: So I've come to fulfill my constitutional obligation to report in the State of the Union. And here's my report. Because the soul of this nation is strong, because the the backbone of this nation is strong, because the people of this nation are strong, the State of the Union is strong.
1: Well, I'd say that in your position too, Mr. President. And it isn't. I'm so scared kiss I fall off my chair. As usual, these mm-hmm. days. Then I'm wondering how I get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around... Swell fellow says me from bradblog.com where we are celebrating our now 20th year on uh, your uh, public airwaves and at bradblog.com after celebrating our 19th anniversary. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the broadcast. In fact, it is special coverage of Tuesday's State of the Union Address. President Joe Biden exhorted Congress Tuesday night to work with him to, quote, finish the job of rebuilding the economy and uniting the nation as he delivered a State of the Union Address aimed at reassuring a country beset by pessimism and fraught political divisions as AP saw it. Perhaps accurately. In his 73 minute speech, Biden sought to portray a nation dramatically improved from the one that he took charge of two years ago, from a reeling economy to one prosperous with new jobs. In fact, 12 million of them, in fact, that were created in the two years since he took office. As he correctly noted, that is more than any president has ever seen in a full four years in office. From a crippled, pandemic-weary nation to uh, one now that has reopened, for good or ill, I should note, that came in a packed chamber of about a thousand people on Tuesday night. The only one that I saw that was smart enough to wear a mask amid hundreds of screaming, almost certainly unvaccinated ninnies was Bernie Sanders. Smart. Uh, And Mr. Biden sought to describe a democracy that has survived its biggest test since the Civil War. The backdrop for the annual address was markedly different from the previous two years, with a Republican speaker now sitting behind Biden and newly empowered GOP lawmakers now with an incredibly thin majority, but a majority nonetheless in the House chamber, heckling the president throughout, calling him a liar, even... As you know, his claims were proven to be true at several points by the president himself during the speech. That in at least one of the most memorable moments, perhaps in all of State of the Union history, which we will get to shortly with my guests. President Biden highlighted record job creation during his tenure as the country has emerged from the covid-19 pandemic and pointed to areas of bipartisan progress in his first two years in office, including on states' vital infrastructure projects and high-tech manufacturing, both which have and will lead to hundreds of thousands of new, good-paying jobs, and both, thanks to legislation, shepherded through an evenly divided Senate over the past two years, including two Democrats in the Senate who are barely Democrats at all, one of whom has since left the party. And, yes, a slim Democratic majority of just five votes or so In the last Congress, Uh, there is no reason we can't work together and find consensus on important things in this Congress as well, a wildly optimistic Biden said. He sang many more of his own praises as well he should, given, as I've noted in several instances on this program of late that he has presided over one of the most successful, if not the most successful, first two years of a presidency since at least FDR, Perhaps in history, at least in terms of major accomplishments. And while that doesn't mean you need to agree with those accomplishments or believe that he maybe should have done more or something different to not recognize the really unprecedented achievements of Joe Biden's first two years in office can only be described as willful blindness or abject ignorance. As to whose fault that may be, well, I hope to discuss that with my guests momentarily as well. AP notes Biden's speech almost defiantly ignored the bitter divisions between Republicans and Democrats and his own low standing with the public. He returned repeatedly to common ground, making the case that both parties can back U.S. factories, new businesses being formed and the funding of 20,000 infrastructure projects, Twenty. Biden used the speech to highlight his focus on the common man, calling out billionaires who pay lower taxes than do the middle class and airlines that treat their passengers like, quote, suckers. It amounted to a dare to Republican lawmakers who increasingly claim to represent blue collar workers, but actually don't. Quote, no billionaire should pay a lower tax rate than a school teacher or a firefighter, Biden said. In one of the bigger applause lines in the speech, he called for a 20 percent tax on the wealth of those households with more than one hundred million dollars. And sang the praises of his Inflation Reduction Act that will now charge a minimum 15 percent tax on companies whose annual profits are higher than one billion, many of whom until now have been paying No taxes at all. Joe Biden touted touted new requirements to buy American manufactured materials for all of the new construction projects, replacing millions of lead pipes across the nation. The Democrats' new law passed without a single Republican vote to cap monthly insulin costs for diabetics on Medicaid and Medicare at $35 a month, calling for that to be expanded to all Americans, which Republicans had blocked, caps on annual prescription drug prices at $2,000 a year, allowing Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices for the first time in history, and the fact that that will also serve to lower the national debt. Also, the first noteworthy gun safety legislation in about 30 years was passed over the past two years. He detailed the most significant investment ever made by any entity to combat climate change in the Inflation Reduction Act, which invests some $400 billion to mitigate the worsening disaster. And the bipartisan infrastructure bill for building out half a million EV charging stations around the country by union workers and much, much more. Again, you may have wished for even more than that or something completely different. But to describe those accomplishments, and frankly, that's still a small list overall, To describe those accomplishments or to ignore them as little or nothing, well, that suggests that you are misinformed or are dishonest or are a member of the group I describe as the contrarian industrial complex. Speaking of which, Joe Biden also ably defended and sang the praises of U.S. support to Ukraine in their effort to hold back the appalling march of authoritarianism by an imperialistic Russia, In their grotesque invasion of their sovereign neighbor just under one year ago, another point of curious criticism from the supposed left that I hope to discuss with my guests momentarily. According to a CNN snap poll conducted just before and after Tuesday's State of the Union, Biden's second official one, though his third address to a joint session of Congress. A whopping 72 percent majority of Americans who watched the address had a positive reaction to it, with a smaller 34 percent reacting very positively. Following the speech, 71 percent of speech watchers said they felt the policies Biden proposed would move the country in the right direction versus just 29 percent who said they would move things in the wrong direction. In a survey conducted before the speech, those same people were closer to evenly split, with just 52 percent believing the policies moved us in the right direction. After the speech, it was 71 percent. The biggest movement in those specific numbers came from those who were skeptical of Biden to begin with. Among those who said in the pre-speech survey that they disapproved of the way Biden is handling his presidency, just 7 percent said before the speech that they thought Biden proposed uh, Biden's proposed policies would move the country in the right direction. That rose to 45 percent. After the speech and even among independents, those who say uh, his policies will move in the right direction went from 40 percent pre-speech to a whopping 66 percent afterwards. Sounds like a successful speech. That said, presidents both parties tend to poll very well in these snap polls right after the State of the Union addresses. And while I don't usually cover polling particularly closely, I wanted to mention those numbers because I've got some related questions I hope to ask to my panel of guests today about them as well. Of course, here with us always is our own producer and audio clip trapper, (laughs) Desi Doyen. Yes. Uh, Hey, good day, Desiree. Yeah.
2: Good day to you, (laughs) too.
1: Thank you. And as almost always following uh, such events, we're joined once again uh, again today by the delightful, smart, and award-winning opinion journalist Heather Digby Parton of Salon and the long-running, much-beloved Digby's Hullabaloo blog, which has now itself in uh, passed its 20th anniversary, now in its 21st year. Good day, Heather, and or Digby, and congratulations, by the way. Well,
3: thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yet another old uh, old time OG blogger like Digby and myself joins us as well. We're thrilled to be joined again by the clever, often sardonic, longtime blogger himself and host of the Professional Left podcast, who we call Drift Glass, even if he is known on the Twitters as Mister Electrico and as Bill. By his wife Fran, who's also known as Blue Gal, I have a feeling they are running from the cops or something. In any event, both of them have long co-hosted their uh, <laughs> podcast from Flyover Country, Illinois, as they describe it. Oh, welcome back, Bill, Mister Electrico, or Drift Glass.
4: Well, thank you very much. I'm just a teenager compared to you guys who are in your twenties. I so know. Buy me beer, won't
1: you? <laughs> I know. Your an- 18th anniversary was uh, recently. Uh, coming up in a month. Yep. You are just a child. Well, congrats! Moment. Yes, Thanks. congratulations! Yeah. Great to have you all here, uh, and especially great to have you all here. Following something that I, I, I found to be surprisingly joyous on Tuesday night, versus uh, you know some of the January six committee hearings for which you guys have been uh, joining us uh, every now and again over the past year or so. We will talk about specifics from the president's speech, and of course, what is plainly hands down, clearly the greatest rope-a-dope moment in the all-time history of State of the Union addresses in a moment. But let me start, as we do, with sort of the helicopter view here. Uh, I'll kick this off with my own personal hot take to put my cards on the table. I was uh, not looking forward to this uh, speech in any particular way. Hadn't given it much thought. Assumed, like most State of the Unions, it was going to be a slog. However, it turned out to be, in my opinion, the liveliest, most fun State of the Union address I recall seeing, I think, ever. And if anyone thinks Trump's old Sleepy Joe moniker is going to work anymore, well, they didn't watch the speech. My only major complaint of note is that when Joe Biden introduced that hero from the uh, Monterey Park uh, shooting who wrestled that uh, assault weapon out of the guy's hands in that uh, lunar new year's uh, festival last month
2: yeah brandon say I think correct
1: his name, his name is brandon say the fact that he did not say let's go brandon <laughs> verges uh. <laughs> on presidential dereliction of duty in my opinion <laughs> other than that few complaints if any heather uh, let me start with your helicopter view on uh, tuesday night
3: well, I agree with you. I mean, I I found it surprisingly enjoyable to watch, and that is a rare thing <laughs> yes. with a speech like that, a yes. uh, state of the union. Um and not just because of the, you know, the acting out and the, you know, the jousting part of it,
2: mm-hmm. which I
3: know we'll get into in great detail here in a little bit. It was all just Biden himself. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, he he was he was on fire last night yep. and The speech was exceptionally well-written, I thought, because his goal was to, you know, kind of tout his accomplishments and make it real for people, because, you know, you see all these polls where everybody's just, oh, this is the worst economy in the Mm -hmm. world, and I'm depressed, and everything's going to hell in a handbasket, when we know that the objectively speaking, the numbers are are really quite good and getting better all the time. And, and, you know, I know it takes people a while to sort of absorb that sort of thing. And so I'm not surprised by that. But but Biden's job was to get up there and say, hey, look, you know, take another look here Mm -hmm. and reevaluate, reset yourselves, because things are are actually happening. And I think he did that really well. And with the kind of sort of happy warrior energy that I think is a really great counter to Mm -hmm. whether it's Trump Mm -hmm. running or that sourpuss down in Florida (laughs) or, you know, any of the rest of them, they're just, or Sarah Huckabee Sanders Mm -hmm. who did their rebuttal, Mm -hmm. that that nasty, mean, you know, just I, I think maybe people are maybe getting ready. To kind of say hey I'm done with that You know that they're ready to make a shift And I think that Biden sort of led the way With the speech by being that happy Warrior guy you know who's just saying Okay you want to fight let's fight but you know I'm, I'm going to be laughing all the way And I think that was really Very effective.
1: And we will get of course To that sourpuss down in Arkansas You mentioned Sarah Huckabee Sanders <laughs> in a little bit uh, Drift Glass your, uh, your Helicopter view of Tuesday night
4: Well uh, Joe has several secret weapons, and one is his big smile. Yeah. When you come at him, he smiles real big and then takes your life away from you. <laughs> um, but his other secret weapon really is that he really believes this stuff. Yeah. He really, truly believes in blue-collar kitchen table stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, out here where I live in the middle of middle America, that stuff actually matters to people. You know, the home health care for seniors and junk fees and insulin price really does matter to people. Mm. and you could tell he was incredibly sincere in what he was saying and what he values and he you know they always say a good speech you should lead with your values and he did Mm. and you know when he spoke to uh, tyree nichols parents you could tell that Mm. he had not just put them up there he had sat with them and he had mourned with them and he understood what they were going through Mm. and gave them space to sort of grieve with everyone and then use that to say let's fix this we can do this Uh, and it is that kind of you know wild optimism about america's future that you don't hear anymore yeah. you know yeah. and it, it's it's such an effective balm to the constant dreary you know we're doomed and we're screwed it's just the the nonsense that the right spouts and every time someone threw a punch he smiled real big and <laughs> and <laughs> crushed them <laughs> yes. um, and it it's it, it was a joy to watch i mean i, I totally agree i had i don't remember like this in the state of the union it was like prime minister time
1: yes uh-huh. yes
4: and it was that kind of you know that that give and take except he was not it wasn't a fair fight uh, <laughs> <laughs> because he had the microphone and they didn't and they're nitwits and he's not
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
4: it was just a pleasure to watch him do exactly what we have wanted them to do it, except he said you know i'm not going to say maga i'm not going to say ultra maga and he didn't he just mm. strongly implied it yes and <laughs> That was enough.
1: I and I I'm, did I, fine. I, I, was, I Yeah, go ahead.
4: No, I was delighted. Wait. I my wife and I were like, yeah.
1: <laughs> I know I did. Actually, until you mentioned it, I didn't realize he didn't say MAGA either. It was oh. just really fun. And you're right. It was very much like the uh, question time uh, at, uh, for the prime minister. And uh, I think that has to do with, you know, I cannot imagine a George W. Bush or even a Barack Obama having that type of real time, live, high pressure debating skills that Biden clearly honed over his 17 17- or so decades uh, as a U.S. Senator uh, that that, that that came to bear yeah, (laughs) that came to bear on uh, Tuesday night before we get to playing an extended clip from that moment because I really believe it is historic uh, Desi Doyen, your uh, helicopter view today.
2: I just basically agree with all of you guys. uh, Well then, good night everybody (laughs) I think his years of experience and and, in all of these venues not just in Congress but in the White House and just in the milieu of trying to get stuff done that that actually was made him the perfect person to deliver the State of the Union. Um, it was tight. It was energetic. It was lively. It was positive. I think he succeeded at his task of making sure the public knows the facts about what he has accomplished over the last two years and countering all the Republican nonsense and lies about it. So I think he succeeded.
1: It was lively, uh, and it seemed fast, but it was actually 73 minutes. I know, oh, but it didn't
2: feel like it. No,
1: it didn't. Sarah Huckabee Sanders' uh, speech felt like 73. 73 minutes. No
2: kidding. I,
1: I, uh, I thought his uh, rope-a-dope, of course, for Republicans on the issue of uh, cutting Social Security and Medicare was brilliant beyond anyone's expectations. He he got Republicans to insist that they would not, absolutely not, cut Social Security or Medicare. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was a rope-a-dope or a Jedi mind trick, but it was amazing. Josh Marshall of TPM described it by saying Joe Biden, quote, brutalized them in a bare. <laughs> hug of bipartisanship. (laughs) Let me uh, play this uh, seminal moment, really, in State of the Union history, I think, as the President was addressing the GOP's uh, threats to default on the U.S. debt for the first time in history. We'll we'll play the full thing here and get each of your reactions to it. uh, uh, And uh, you may be able to hear, if you didn't see this uh, on Tuesday night, a number of GOP members shouting liar at various points, uh, moments throughout.
0: Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office, I'll give you a copy, I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. I'm glad to see you. I tell you, I I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks. The idea is that we're not going to be—we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. <laughs> folks. So, folks, as we all apparently agree. Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be smart. All right. We got unanimity. Social Security and Medicare are a lifeline for millions of seniors. Americans have to pay into them from the very first paycheck they started. So tonight, let's all agree and apparently we are. Let's stand up for seniors. Stand up and show them. We will not cut social security. We will not cut Medicare. Those benefits belong to the American people. They earned it. And if anyone tries to cut social security, which apparently no one's gonna do. And if anyone tries to come Medicare, I'll stop them. I'll veto it. And look, I'm not gonna allow them to take away, be taken away. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. But apparently it's not gonna be a problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh Heather Digby Parton, your your thoughts on that exchange.
3: <laughs> well, I thought it w- you know, I thought it was great. I don't think he was planning it, obviously, and mm-hmm. I don't think anybody could have known but just you could see it coming. Hand.
1: You could see it coming early on. It's like, wait a minute. Is this going where I think it's going, or at uh, least I, I did?
3: It was, well, I mean, it was just, I don't think anybody could have, pre- we all knew that the, that you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene caucus mm-hmm. <laughs> was was probably going to act out in some way, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have bet that it would have been over that. I mm-hmm. mean, there are a lot of things that I would have thought, but I wouldn't have bet that they, that they would just scream and shriek
2: <laughs> <laughs> in like howler monkeys to
3: mm-hmm. the mere suggestion that a few of them yeah. might have wanted to cut Social Security and Medicare. I mean, mm-hmm. let, you know, without going deeply into the history, let's just say, from the moment those programs were enacted, the Republican Party—and it's the Republican Party mm-hmm.
2: always—in
3: mm-hmm. ha- all of its iterations through the decades has been trying to repeal them
2: yep. <laughs> there is
3: this over and over and over again ronald reagan called it socialism you know it just it goes all mm-hmm. the way down the line every single every single group except for donald trump mm-hmm. who came in and said that they wouldn't try and cut it right. that doesn't mean they're not going to try and cut it all right. the things that, po- that biden was talking about have been proposed and it wasn't you know in the in the past this was stuff that was happening during the campaign. Yeah. And a lot of people were trying to tell them, Shh, you know, don't say anything. we last, try to get elected here. The
1: last campaign, the 2022 campaign. The 2022 yeah. campaign, this the one was...
3: that just ended. That's yeah. the one that had... You know, Rick Scott, the head of the Senate uh, senatorial campaign committee, put out an agenda, an 11-point plan, and it said that he was proposing to sunset all federal legislation every five years, which means Marjorie Taylor Greene and J.D. Vance were going to be deciding whether or not we get to keep our retirement income and our health care every five years. And
1: since I think this is important, and I'll let you finish that thought, uh, Digby, and we'll we'll certainly get to Drift Glass, but uh, let me just play that moment to make it crystal clear that this was Senator Rick Scott who was the head of the senatorial, uh, Republican senatorial campaign committee responsible for electing Republican senators last year, was called out on this on Fox News uh, just last year. ...put out an 11-point plan to rescue America, two of
0: the big points of which are, quote, all Americans should pay some income tax to have skin in the game, even if a small amount. Currently, over half of Americans pay no income tax. It also says all federal legislation sunsets in five years if a law is worth keeping congress can pass it again so that would raise taxes on half of americans and potentially sunset programs like medicare medicaid and social security why would you propose something like that in an election year sure Well, john that's of course the democrat talking points it's a little no, plan in the plan <laughs> it's in well, the plan it, but, he, here's, here, but here's the thing about reality for a second all, let's talk but, but, about but medicare but senator, but senator hang hey, on and, so, it's not a democratic talking point it's in the plan and also in the plan it says we ought to every year talk about exactly how we're going to fix medicare and social security
1: so so his point is, uh, it's not just that. We want to kill everything every five years, I guess. But but when you're called out by Fox News like that, good Lord. So that absolutely happened. That was Rick Scott uh, last year. And that's what one of the uh, folks that Biden was referring to when he was booed by, uh, you know, the MTG caucus.
3: Well, and it wasn't just Rick, Rick Scott. I mean, and right. by the way, Mitch McConnell also called out Rick Scott on that exact point mm-hmm. and said, it was going to; it would result in Social Security mm-hmm. and Medicare be sunsetting every five years. There was also there's a group called the Republican Study Group, which mm-hmm. is the policy making arm of the wingnuts in the House, <laughs> and they put out a budget last summer that also talked about yep. you know they didn't say sunsetting it, but they were talking about you know reforming it and reducing benefits, means testing, privatizing, pushing out the eligibility age, all the things we've been talking about as long as we've all been on this planet they 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 it's still on the menu. So Biden is absolutely correct to do that and to call them out for it and to bring attention to it because of course it's still still in the mix. Yep. We've had some of those house members the crazies going on and time, well, you got to look at entitlements. That's all in the record too. They've been saying it on television that entitlements would be on the menu. So he was absolutely right to do it. Their their you know, their hysterical response to it was you know very indicative of the fact that even they even the lunatics understand <laughs> that this is not you know that this is a third rail and it's very problematic for them. Donald Trump issued an edict earlier in the week saying do not touch social security right. and medicare. Right. So this is a brilliant move on the part of of Biden and his speechwriters to put it in and then the way that he parried it and the way that he yeah. sort of brought them out, let's all stand up for seniors. Yes. You know, who's going to say no, right? <laughs> right. I mean, and, well. and then they're all going, yay, we have unity. I mean, it was really, when you call it rope-a-dope, that's exactly what it was. He was sitting there, and they're yelling at him, and he's talking back and saying, oh, sh- you know, call my office, I've got, I'll show you the plan, blah, right. blah, blah. It just All it did was bring home this idea. When they bring this back up, which they will, this footage will be played over and over and over again. Yeah. He trapped them.
1: Drift Glass?
4: Uh, well, there's, there's a rule. Mm-hmm. that uh, we Actually, my wife and I have a second podcast that we do now called No Fair Remembering Stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, just the history of things. And the last one we did was the ACA. Uh-huh. And um, that we did David Brooks and a bunch of other things. But the rule on the right is no fair remembering stuff. Right. And Biden broke the rule. He remembered something they said on television and said it out loud to their faces and made them very unhappy because you're not supposed to do that. We're right. supposed to be able to say things and get away with it because we do that all the time on Fox News. And that blew their minds because <laughs> how dare you quote me back to me. There's a, a <laughs> famous um, Newt Gingrich appearance on Meet the Press, I think, about you know, anyone who says, you know, quotes verbatim what I said yesterday about, you know, right wing social engineering It's not true Mm -hmm. You know You quote me verbatim You're lying Right And there's a rule there And so first thing Biden blew their minds By remembering something And pointing to them And saying You did say this This is your party Oh you didn't Okay well cool We're all cool That's great The second thing I remember was um, 1988 Or 1998 When the Lewinsky thing Blew up Mm -hmm. You might recall that Yes I do And all the serious people Were talking about Clinton resigning Yep And Clinton had to go Give a speech In front of the (laughs) In front of Congress and in my opinion, he saved him, his administration from capsizing mm-hmm. uh, with one sentence, which was, "What should we do with this projected surplus? I have a simple, forward answer: save Social Security yeah. first. Mm-hmm. Boom! He got a ten-point bump. That was the, it. Was a flash poll, but he went from I think fifty or sixty to seventy or something like that. And it's it's such a dumb thing <laughs> for them to keep doing <laughs> yes. because they keep biting this live wire and. Maybe this time there won't be electricity flowing through it. And Biden's like, please, nibble on the thing. And if you (laughs) you don't want to,
3: (laughs) join me over
4: here. And we will all agree and stand up and say USA, and we're not going to touch senior stuff. All of which, all of which plays to the demographic he's trying to reach. All of which. The the people he's trying to talk to are the blue-collar, middle-class seniors. Mm -hmm. Who are terrified that their their home care Is going to be taken care of Who are grateful to have insulin capped And who don't want anybody messing with their social security Or their medicare Uh, And boom
1: and I've got to uh, take a break here shortly, and we'll come back and talk about what effect all of this may have on the polls. But before we get to this break, it was obviously it was a brilliant moment for for Biden, arguably, I guess, for the Democrats. It was a sucker's play for the Republicans. A but trap that
2: l- they walked right into. They
1: did. Yeah. But let me uh, sort of join the contrarian industrial complex here for just a moment to note that, you know, Democrats do love scaring people. Justifiably, but they love scaring people with the idea that Republicans will slash Social Security and Medicare if given the chance. Does this moment, uh, Driftglass, take that ability off the table for them in the future since you've got Republicans who are now swearing up and down, absolutely, we would never cut Medicare or Social Security?
4: Well, let's take all economic issues away. Let's pretend it's sometime next year and inflation is down and there's, you know, all this record job growth and people are, you know, being able to afford houses again and Social Security and Medicare, what does that leave the Republican Party with? CRT, you know, (laughs) and and garbage um, social issues like that. Mm -hmm. If you cede all of the economic issues to the Democrats, which it looks like they're doing and all the policy issues to Democrats, which I'm hoping they're going to do, you take away everything they have, except for the stuff that appeals to the lunatic 27%. And that means you win. Mm. So I'm thrilled. And the okay. minute they walk it back, the minute they start fiddling with Social Security again, you whip that tape out, you do the Barack Obama after you, Governor. Yes, you know, please that, that whole thing, didn't yeah. you, isn't it in your book that you wrote this? And and you call, it's a win-win for Democrats. There you if go. they follow through and leave the stuff off the table, Joe Biden can say, <laughs> I made Republicans keep their filthy hands their damn dirty ape hands <laughs> off of social security medicare you're welcome and if they co- go for it because i told you i told you these people would do it and there's th- again this is the trap they built for themselves This is a lobster trap they built for themselves and they lock themselves into it and now they're stuck with it and you know the the 27 percent that that huckabee was talking to those are not reachable people you know so right. we can just sort of write those people off but everybody else this was a good night to reach all those other people. And that's what I think he was trying to do.
2: Yeah, I think he succeeded at that. But I think we also should remember that Republicans are very good at using weasel words. So they'll say we're not going to cut Social Security and Medicare for people who are currently on it or who are just about to approach it. But previous Republicans, like Senator Mike Lee in 2010, is on tape saying, well, we'll we'll protect it for those people. But for young people, we should tell them you're going to pay into it, but you're not going to get any money out of it. Now, these are things that Republicans will say privately, but they'll also, suggest things like uh, former Vice President Pence did just the other day about no. privatizing accounts for younger people and let Wall Street put them into the stock market, the volatile stock market. They, so, they have weasel words to get around this uh, blanket idea of cutting. So, we still have to pay attention to what they
1: say.
4: But yeah, there's, they can, a, there's a four letter word for that, and it's called malarkey. There you That's go. The <laughs> of my
1: there you go. Hey, I got to take a quick break. Uh, we will come back with Heather Digby-Parton and Driftglass and, of course, Desi Doyen right here on our special coverage of the State of the Union address on Tuesday night. Biden's second one, although his third address to a joint uh, session of Congress. Well, much more coverage straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs>
0: To maintain the strongest economy in the world, we need the best infrastructure in the world. We used to be number one in the world in infrastructure. We've sunk to 13th in the world. But now we're coming back. Because we came together and passed the bipartisan infrastructure law. The largest investment in infrastructure since President Eisenhower's interstate highway system. Projects that are going to put thousands of people to work rebuilding our highways, our bridges, our railroads, our tunnels, ports, airports, clean water, high speed internet, all across America, urban, rural, tribal. And folks, we're just getting started. We're just getting started my republican friends who voted for the law and my republican friends who voted against it as well i still get asked to fund the projects in those districts as well but don't worry i promised i'd be a president for all americans we'll fund these projects and i'll see you at the groundbreaking we've
1: got to work together work work together Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with our special coverage of Tuesday's State of the Union Address. Our friend David Dayan, another old school, longtime blogger, now executive editor over at the American Prospect, tweeted out that uh, Tuesday night, uh, quote, he says he was told that this is the first mention of antitrust in a State of the Union Address since 1979. It was, really? in fact, yeah. a Wow populist speech I thought from top to bottom and given that he is uh, e- easily the most progressive president that we have seen since FDR at least and and, and though I don't know if any of us uh, here actually supported him in the primaries I think it, it it's it's it needs some focusing on the fact that the the left, many in the left, the cool kids on the left, the contrarian industrial complex still seem to hate him, which I find very odd. Heather and Driftglass, uh, the, as I noted at the top of the show, 72 percent of Americans who watched the State of the Union address had a positive reaction to it, according to CNN snap poll. That pattern, however, is similar to the reception that his speech uh, received last year in 2022 when 71% of watchers reacted positively to his address but you know while presidents tend to poll well in these snap polls right after the speech because they tend to have a more partisan uh, audience watching them. In this case, it was among the least partisan audiences in quite a while. It was uh, just 8% more Democratic than uh, Republican. So those good numbers are probably actually better news for Biden than they might appear. That said, Biden's approval numbers overall have remained very low for the past year or more. I'm wondering why. Why is Joe Biden so unpopular? Let me start with you, Heather.
3: I One word, or two words, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the media. Yeah? I really think that's what it is. I mean, there, there's another aspect to this, and I mentioned it briefly previously. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's a big economic upheaval, you know, a recession usually, something like that, you, often when there's high unemployment or something going on, it takes a while for people to sort of you know, grok that things have turned around. It's it's almost a habitual self-protective thing. I think people just kind of go, well, you know, everything's gone to hell in a handbasket. We're really struggling. It takes a while for people to understand that, you know, things are actually better. I don't know, somebody gets a new job or they start to notice a bunch of construction in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever the the things are. And it starts to really penetrate. That's the Ronald Reagan thing, right? You know, when he ran in 1980, the the country was in a big mess. And by 1984, it was Morning in America. Well, you know, things had improved a long time before people understood that it was morning in America, and he lost a bunch of seats in the midterms, too. But so, you know, it just takes a while. But the other part of it is is that the media has just been relentlessly dooming and glooming mm-hmm. this economy, and I really think that that has, has dragged down a whole lot of people. This has been a weird, weird time economically, something that most of us have not experienced you know, those of us who are older, it's been decades since we experienced anything like this inflation. And for a lot of people, they have never experienced it before at all. So this has been kind of a shock in the pandemic and the supply chain and blah, blah, blah. And the media, rather than going to any length to try and sort of sort that out and provide context for it, has just been presenting numbers as if it's doom and gloom and pictures of, you know, egg cartons that cost, you know, $10 is- a dozen or whatever. So I think that is the main reason. And I'm uh, you mentioned this uh, snap poll. There was another snap poll that was done by Navigator that was mentioned in an L.A. Times article yes. today. And they were all Democrats that were watching, and it really boosted him among Democrats. Just a reminder, hey, you know, there was a reason why we voted for this guy, and there's a reason why we can be enthusiastic about what he, as the Democratic president, has accomplished. So maybe things are starting, we'll, you know, will now start to shift a little bit as we go we, full bore into the campaign.
1: We, yeah, we will see. But more evidence to support your theory, uh, Washington Post, ABC News had a poll this week uh, that finds oh. 62% of Americans believe joe biden has accomplished little if anything <laughs> in his first two years bill please explain that to me whose fault is it that the american people are so dreadfully wrong about that and again you may have wish he accomplished something different or wish he had accomplished something more but to say that he has not accomplished you know little or nothing in his first two years You know, whose fault is it that Americans are so dreadfully wrong about that and appear to have no idea just how wrong they actually are?
4: Well, um, I'm going to play guess the quote, so I'm going to give you a quote (laughs) now. Okay. Times are bad, children no longer obey their parents, and everyone is writing a book. (laughs) That's Marcus Cicero from 43 B.C.
1: I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah.
4: It is human nature to gripe about politics and everything sucks and everything's bad. It's never been this bad. It's always going to be bad, and it's somebody's fault. Okay, that's fine. But on top of that, natural human impulse to just gripe all the time is the media. You know, the the at the height of the attempt to sabotage the Obama administration by gleefully blocking everything he tried to do, mm-hmm. every single thing. The number one request from the media was, "Why won't Obama lead?"
2: Mm -hmm. Why won't Obama fix
4: this? Why is Obama not unifying America? He said he would unify America, and he hasn't unified America. Mm -hmm. And it's this impulse that the more psychotic the right gets, (laughs) the more we need a horse race, so the more we're going to simply invent things about the left to complain about Mm. and then blame them for all the things the right is doing.
1: But why doesn't that happen then when there's a Republican in the White House? Because Uh, there's a big
4: megaphone on the right (laughs) screaming this all the time. That has bludgeoned the media into terrifying. They they don't want to tick off the right. I mean, if they do that, they might not be able to work at Fox News in five years. So on the left, there's no downside. Ticking people on the left is a time-honored tradition in America.
1: Hippie punching, as we used to call it.
4: It works every time. And And there's there's no professional downside to doing it. It There's a huge professional downside in in arguing with Rupert Murdoch. Mm -hmm. So they don't do it.
1: You know, and and I don't want to engage in hippie punching here, but but (laughs) I think this is a real problem for Democrats and those on the left. The folks on the left who seem to be tossing in with the folks on the right at this point. For example, uh, those on the supposed anti-war left who seem to be on the side of the imperial aggressors, Russia following their invasion of sovereign Ukraine almost one year ago. Here, here are, were some of Joe Biden's remarks on that on Tuesday night. Putin's
0: invasion has been a test for the ages, a test for America, a test for the world. Would we stand for the most basic of principles? Would we stand for sovereignty? Would we stand for the right of people to live free of tyranny? Would we stand for the defense of democracy? For such defense matters to us because it keeps peace and prevents open season on would-be aggressive and threatens our prosperity. One year later, we know the answer. Yes, we would. And we did. We
1: did. So, uh, you, know, you know, often that kind of rhetoric from a president is a bunch of B.S. In this case, it is actually true. And I went back and looked at the State of the Union address from a year ago when Biden actually you know, promised to support Ukraine with military and humanitarian aid, but to keep U.S. troops out of the conflict. He's kept that promise a year later yet can either of you let me start with heather speak to this fairly sizable group of folks on the left who seem to be on the authoritarian imperial side of this conflict for some reason that i'm having a very difficult time understanding heather
3: i don't pretend to understand this either i mean you know i get it that you know i would tend to think of myself as an anti-war person. Yeah. I'm certainly not pro-war. Right? And I was against the invasion of Iraq, because I didn't think you should yep. be, you know, invading countries that didn't attack you. And I feel the same way about what Russia is doing to Ukraine. I How feel consistent that my, of you? I feel that my belief is pretty consistent in this way. And I feel, you know, very compassionate and empathetic toward the ukrainian people in this situation as i did about the iraqis who were suffering in that way you know i mean this this doesn't seem to me to be in any way consistent but there's something that is happening on on certain elements of the left uh, that it seems to be very pro russia for reasons that have nothing to do with ukraine. I mean this is some kind of a a, a solidarity with 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 russia um, yeah. uh, on this that that i don't that I really don't understand i mean i I have to confess I mean I read this stuff and i 'm just going i don 't get you i don't know where you 're coming from and I think it's very very sad and Biden has done a, a great job of walking a very very difficult line on this you know this has been a truly um, challenging foreign policy and national security um, problem. And I think he's done a great job and kept NATO together and done all this. So, you know, this is, I just, I, I feel completely out of sync with these folks.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I I raise this point and sort of connect the dots to uh, the polling to say that you know, to a certain extent, no matter how much Joe Biden does, there is still going to be this element. I Again, call them the uh, contrarian industrial complex or, you know, the cool kids who are just going to oppose uh, Democrats because that is the thing you are supposed to do. They're used to doing it. They continue to do it. Uh, Bill, I, I don't even know what your position is on ukraine would you like to ring in on any of this
4: sure um i I approach it with some trepidation
1: because uh
4: there there is uh, a number of people who are part of the contrarian uh,
1: Mm -hmm. industrial
4: complex that i was um, writing about several years ago but it wasn't cool to do so and i lost about a third of my traffic Mm. and uh, it it it, it cost and Mm -hmm. then it turned out they were as exactly as i described them and slowly people came around to the conclusion that a guy named Glenn is really not to be trusted that much. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he now has a show on Rumble where he interviews Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he's Tucker Carlson's wacky sidekick.
1: To be clear, you're not talking about Glenn Beck. Just want to make (laughs) sure. No, no,
4: Glenn Beck is a cool guy, and I can trust (laughs) everybody.
1: That that Um, would be Glenn Greenwald you're talking about, yes. Yes,
4: it would be. Um, And there's just a lot of people who rounded that corner for reasons I don't begin to understand, Mm. but there's a um, festival in February sponsored by Ron Paul called Rage Against the War Machine, and it has a delightful cast of characters who are, um, some of them, like there's Jill Stein, and there's Tulsi Gabbard, and there's a comedian named Jimmy, and there's a (laughs) political candidate named Dennis from Mm -hmm. years gone by, Mm. all of whom, you know, were in our orbit for a while. And there just is this larger opportunity if you band together and scream against anything Democrats do, no matter what. It's like a, they they learned this reflex under George Bush, mm-hmm. and and just attacking no matter what, especially Democrats, because then you can prove your bona fides is now a is now a, a business model.
1: Yeah. So yes. yep, there it we is. go. I can and, and I can yeah. Go ahead, finish your thought. I got to. And I'm very here.
4: very. I'm very pro-Ukraine. Ukraine is actually a sister city of Springfield. They've sent delegations here, and I've, I've met them and, and talked to them a few years ago. And I'm completely in, in sympathetic to their, to their plight. And I think what Joe Biden has done, rally allies and get people to supply, is no different than Roosevelt rallying people, uh, allies before World War II or during World War II, for the Lend-Lease Act. It's exactly the same thing. It's in support of democracy, and I think that's great. I'm I'm glad my tax dollars are going
1: towards that. I'm I'm anti-war as much as anyone else, uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, in this case, being anti-war apparently means roll over and let Russia take over an entire country and the rest of, uh, of Europe or something. And I'm totally with you, uh, Driftglass. I know what it's like to have folks turn against you. I have had people pull their donations. They're furious uh, over the year for uh, these things. But I think it's important. I think we need to speak out because I think uh, there's a really dangerous element on the left that is doing their own movement no favors, the anti-war movement and so forth, yep. which I always thought I was a part of. Anyway, let me take a quick break here, and we were back with our closing few minutes with Digby, Driftglass, and Desi on our special State of the Union coverage, which uh, will now include Sarah Huckabee Sanders. For <laughs> some reason, you have been warned. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> You're listening to the broadcast. You're listening to The broadcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.
2: The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. Americans want common sense from their leaders. But in Washington, the Biden administration is doubling down on crazy we are under attack in a left-wing culture war we didn't start and never wanted to fight. Our freedom is under attack. The America we love is in danger. (laughs) President Biden and the Democrats have failed you. And it's time for a change. No time is
1: I haven't been able to play that old chestnut since Sarah Palin fell over a (laughs) cliff. Uh, Washington Post... Analysis in 2019 described her as, quote, a prolific liar, a related uh, piece uh, from the time labeled former press secretary for Donald Trump and uh, now the official governor of Arkansas as the disdainful queen of gaslighting. Yes, that was Sarah <laughs> Huckabee Sanders. Uh, she uh, began her official GOP response to Joe Biden's State of the Union on Tuesday by stating that. Um, forgive me for not believing much of anything from Joe Biden which is kind of rich coming from Donald Trump's former press secretary (laughs) anyway a very difficult job for anyone to give the response to the State of the Union overall I thought she delivered it well enough but oy the content as you just heard some of Uh, I want to get some quick thoughts here as we wrap up our special coverage on the broadcast of the State of the Union address Uh, Heather Digby-Parton <laughs> uh <Pepper laughs> g- 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 your <laughs> thoughts on S- Sarah Huckabee Sanders <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I, <laughs> I I honestly don't know what to say. Um, you know, Do, she, the, do the people said, who
1: watch Fox really buy uh, that stuff that she's selling? Really?
3: Uh, yeah, I think they like it. In fact, Kelly McEnany and, and, and I think Kellyanne Conway were on Fox after her speech, said it was the greatest rebuttal speech <laughs> anyone's ever given. Yeah. So, you know, there you have it. But my favorite thing was she said, every day we're told we must partake in a ritual, salute their flags, and worship their false idols. This is from a Trumper. I mean, their You're rituals, right. like the rallies, salute their flags. I mean, don't they have huge Trump flags everywhere they go yeah. and worship their false idols? They actually had a golden Trump yes. at one of those one of those yes. CPAC things. So I guess it's more projection, right? What, what more can we say?
1: It's the, I know you are, but uh, I, I know you are. Wait, I know I am. But I know are you are, you, but what am I? Defense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Drift Glass, Bill, y- your thoughts on, uh, on Huckabee's response and what a fine job she did.
4: Uh, makes me pine for the good old days of Bobby Jindal coming out and <laughs> his response to the to Barack Obama. Uh, yeah. This is—but I, I do listen to her. I listen to them all. Yep. These are foreign broadcasts from an alien planet. That yes. It's a different language <laughs> than anybody I know. <clears throat> and they all understand what each other think. But this is what I call—and I'll, I'll clean it up for you, Brad— the tribe that rubs poop in their hair. <laughs> um, they they talk this way among themselves. this becomes their mother tongue, this becomes their tavern talk, their native language. Mm-hmm. And when they come out and talk to normal people, everyone just stares at them, going, "What in the world are you talking about?" But this all makes sense to that twenty seven percent who are down in the rabbit hole and never coming out. and I listen to it, I you know on that basis because they're not talking to me. they're not speaking a language I understand. and she's right. The choice is between normal and crazy, but yep. boy howdy, did she get their polarities wrong.
2: Oh my <laughs> gosh, yes she did. Now, mm-hmm. uh, just real quick, I think the Huckabee Sanders' response was like a Mad Libs of right-wing mm-hmm. keywords and jargon. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the same thing that you were saying, Driftglass. It would only make sense to anybody who watches Fox News, those brain-poisoned people who have been just immersed in right-wing media and that echo chamber and don't step outside of it, into the real world where you know normal people talk.
1: Yeah. Which, <laughs> don't it, have your decoder ring. This won't make any sense. To you right. Right. And then they But unfortunately, they may only be the way they talk over in Fox, but that infects everything and everyone else, even in the non-Fox, non-Wingnut media, I'm sorry to say. Anyway... Fascinating conversation. Thank you to all of you. That uh, last male voice you heard, of course, was Drift Glass, otherwise known as Mr. Electrico over on the Twitters. You can find his podcast, the ProLeft podcast at ProLeftPod.com. And uh, do you really have a, a, another a podcast called No Fair Remembering Stuff?
4: Yeah, it's a a supplement to that one. We do that one every Tuesday. Nice. And we have a third one called Science Fiction University, where we break down science fiction stories and page to movie and movies we like and what works and what
1: doesn't. Very good. All available at ProLeftPod.com. Also, his blog is DriftGlass.Blogspot.com. I believe. My thanks also to Heather Digby Parton uh, of Salon.com and, of course, Digby's blog.net. You can find her on the Twitters at Digby56. And my thanks, as ever, to our producer, Desi Doyen. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. No paywall thanks to those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebook, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am The Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.